Hey everybody, it's Randy Kugler, and it's episode number five of Racing with RK. We got a special guest tonight we're going to get to in a moment, but first we want to thank our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Buckeye Karting Challenge, Ohio's Karting Championship. The next event is Sunday, August 16th at Fremont Raceway Park with practice on Saturday the 15th. For those of you that have not raced in the series this season, use promo code RACINWITHRK and receive a $5 discount from your entry fee. Well, as I said earlier, we've got a special guest with us tonight. It's Karting's true historian. IndyCar has Russ Thompson. Well, Karting has Phil Combs. And Phil's with us tonight to talk about anything and everything about karting history. And I can't wait. It's something that I really enjoy. I've had a lot of conversations with Phil in the past. And he's got such insight and some great stories. And we're going to talk about those and share those stories tonight. So, Phil, welcome to the show. You hear me? Yes, sir. I can hear you. So, welcome to the Brent, show, Phil. Yeah, I'm glad to, be, uh, glad to be part of this. Pretty special night. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So... Let's, uh, for starters, let's talk about how you got introduced to karting, Phil. Um, well, it, you kind of got to go back a little bit before uh, my, well, I, my first start was my dad. Uh, of course, my dad had worked for NASCAR from 1952, and I was born in 1957. So my dad being a, a you know, a, a big, uh, you know, love racing the way he did, I don't know if he had some kind of a plan in place when I was a kid, but my dad started taking me to go-kart races. And uh, I can remember the first big race I ever went to. It was actually in, on a Thanksgiving day in Pauline, South Carolina, to a 200-lap race. And uh, we went down to see some friends that we knew that was racing. And, and, and you know, that's kind of what sparked my interest. Well, then there was a there was a go-kart track here in Shelby, not far from where I'm at right now, actually, that uh, – we started going to it and he started letting me ride, you know, the, the carts that they had, had rental cars there actually. And so one thing kind of led to another. And in 1970, 50 years ago this year, actually, uh, I, I raced in my very first race and it was 50 years ago. Wow. Yeah. And I raced in my very first race and I'm actually about a half a mile from where the track was right now. It was where the Cleveland Mall sets in Shelby right now where the track was. And uh, it was a previous micro midget track that was around the outside perimeter of the property. And then they built an asphalt track and a little short road course in, inside that. And that was the first place I ever raced at. And it was, uh, it was a track that only raced in the summertime. And the reason they did this is because they didn't want to interfere with any other people's points as far as a Friday night or a Saturday track, you know, and, and so right. – they, uh, they they raced on Tuesday nights, and they only had two classes. And at the time I started, they only had one class, and they ran uh, a stock and a modified class. And so, okay. uh, and so it, it you know one thing kind of developed in another. So I did good and won a championship in first year. So then I joined IKF, and this is my second year in '71, and I okay. moved up to racing at at West Lincoln and at Bobby Geddes's track up at Ellenborough, and it just kind of you know took off from there and. Uh, it was, you know, it's, it's been, I mean, I've done a lot of cool stuff in my life and I'm very proud of a lot of stuff that I've done, but the friendships that I've made all the way back to 1970 and 71, I'm still good friends with all those guys I raced with back then till this very day. 
And to me, that's the best thing about probably anything in carding is the, the friendships that I've made along the way. Oh, I, I totally agree. I think that, that if you ask anybody that's been in carding for any length of time, you know, they'll talk about races and championships and trophies, but at the end of the conversation, they're talking about the people they met, the people that are have, were friends, are still friends. Some of my lo- lifelong friends, you know, is from carding. So you hit the nail on the head for sure, Phil. As you, as you moved on yeah. through carding, then you also, we were talking last night, you got into the Goodies Dash series, which is pretty awesome. Tell, tell people well, listening here tonight about what the Goodies Dash series was all about. What, what exactly, because a lot of people well, don't know about the Goodies Dash series. Well, I actually got into it before, long before it was called the Goodies Dash series. It was called the Baby Grand series. And this whole, the whole series kind of developed at, at North Wilsboro Dragway. And at North Wilsboro, they had a, they actually built a road course that ran on the drag strip. And then it ran up through the parking lot and they started racing the, the dash series at that track. Well, then, you know, it took off like a wildfire. This is back when everybody was running Ford Pintos and Chevrolet Vegas and, you know, the, the, the smaller subcompact cars. Well, then, um, the same, and this is going to kind of be the same story that you and I are going to talk about later about four cycles. NASCAR seen all these cars being built, and there was no sanctioning body. So NASCAR said, "Well, heck, we need to get a hold of this." So they did, and uh, so when they started that, the first time I ever raced a car in my life, if you can believe this, was at Charlotte Motor Speedway, and oh, I had geez. just won. <laughs> yeah, I had just won the four cycle pro race, the the very first one that Dick Wilson ever put on in Barnesville. And uh, in 76, I'd won that the year I graduated high school. And so I had a guy here in Shelby that built a car for me to race in the, in the Baby Ram Series. Well, back then, it didn't make no difference. You could race. If they had a race, you could race in it if you had the money to get in. So they had 70 cars qualified at this race at Charlotte in 1977. Uh, and I qualified 25th. I got up to fifth place. And I was actually wow. running with Ricky Pearson. Yeah, I was running Ricky Pearson, and we got down to five laps to go, and I could run on his bumper, but I couldn't really pass him. Well, we uh, we 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 ran up on a lap car that had broke a shock, and it actually had spun out earlier in the race, and I, I, I was just trying to hold on to fifth place. I was happy with that, you know. So we lapped by this car coming out of turn four. Well, he kind of bounced off the wall and bounced into me and spun me around, hit, and I hit the wall. But, you know, oh. just to get to do, to do what I did, and, and I mean, heck, I was just out of high school, you know, and uh, it was a cool deal to get to run that. And then later on, you know, they did change the name of it. It's been probably five different names. It's, yeah. you know, the Goodies Dash Series, the Charlotte Daytona Dash Series. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But, but, yeah, but it's, it's, it, that was a great series. And, you know, it's just kind of like the same scenario that's happened to go karting and a lot of other forms of motor racing. They let the rules package get out of hand where it costs yeah. so much that it, it just became so unprofitable to try to do it with everything. You had to spend three times the money to build a car that you'd used to spend and you're racing for the same amount of money and finally just killed it. What kind of speeds did you get to at, at Charlotte? Uh, 150, uh, 151 mile an hour, I believe is the fastest we ever run. But and, you got to remember that's four cylinder. Yeah. What were you driving? That's, that's a, that was a, uh, that was a, that was a, I had a, I had a, I started out in a Vega, but when I run 151, I was in a Pontiac Astra, which is kind of like a Chevrolet Cavalier, same yeah. body style, basically. That's a lot of, that's Pontiac. a lot of speed. That's a lot of speed in a little car like that. 
you know, it don't seem like you're going that fast on a big track until you have to stop or somebody spins out in <laughs> yeah. front of you. Right. And you have to slow down quick. But, you know, if you look at it, you got half the cylinders and you're still running that fast where the, the cup cars were only running at that time 180-something maybe. So, I mean, we were running fast considering we only had a four-cylinder car. And I'm guessing drafting was really important with those cars. It was amazing. Even even the first time that I raced there in 77, that's the one thing that I wasn't familiar with, you know, that was that once I finally caught on how to do it in the race, uh, you know, like I said, I ran a, a lot of laps with Ricky Pearson, and that's David Pearson's son and, and Larry Pearson that won two Bush championships brother. And uh, once I kind of figured out running with him, and, and he was kind of – he was very smart. You know, if David Pearson's your dad, surely you're going to be smart. That's and right. he was telling me you know, to get in behind him. And he had motioned in his rearview mirror just to follow him. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot just, just by me and him running together that day. I did. And it's, uh, but it's, it's a great, that was a great learning tool. It really was. And you, you told me you actually raced him at Daytona too, right? I raced at Daytona in 82. And, if, and, you know, me today, I look back at doing that, and I think, how in the heck did I pull that off? <laughs> I don't know, dude. I bought, <laughs> I, I bought this car from Kurt, Kurt Shalmerdine, built this yep. car when he worked for James Hilton. Well, yep. listen, he got the job uh, as as Richard Childress's crew chief for right. Ricky Rudd in 1982. Yep. So I'm yep. racing go-karts. On, I'm racing go-karts in November of 81 up at Bobby Geddes' track in Ellenborough. Well, there's a couple of guys that were uh, friends with Kurt that came to me that knew that I'd been racing the Baby Grand Series and all and said, hey, man, said, uh, here's a car you need to go buy. I said, you can buy everything he's got at a cheap price. said, Childress is not going to let him race anymore. And uh, you can go up there and you can buy everything he's got and go to Tone and Run and basically spend no money. So I called him on Sunday. They gave me his, his phone number. I called him Sunday. I worked out a deal to go up and look at the car at Richard Childress's shop on Monday wow. and made the deal and bought it. And if you can believe this, I bought every single piece that he owned for $2,500. Wow. 2500 And I went to Daytona. I didn't even buy one tire. The whole time I was at Daytona, I had, wow. so, I had more spare parts I knew what to do with. And yeah. uh, But went down there, and I finished 15th out of 50 cars. I got up in the top 10. Yeah. We had an oil leak and had to come in. I was you know, I was afraid I was going to blow the engine up. I had an oil leak, and I pulled in and, and got behind. I had, like, the Kenny Rogers six-pack crew working on my car. <laughs> and uh, the time they got me pit and got me out, you know, uh, I lost lost some time there. But we still finished 15th, and that was a, that was a big deal for a bunch of country boys at uh, Daytona. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Well, let's uh, l- let's kind of move back. You still got me? Yeah, we're, we're, we still got you. Uh, so let's Friendly. get back to – I've lost you, it seems to be. So, Phil, let's kind of move on over to karting and talk about four cycles and the WK. I'm going to share with you what I remember, and I want you to kind of expand on that from your early memories. So, when WK was formed, and we've covered it in earlier podcasts, it started off with enduro racing and two-cycle sprint racing. And a couple, three years into it, my dad was connected to a fellow in North Carolina, which of course we all know now is a legendary name in karting, Dan Klutz. And Dan came to Canton, Ohio and sat down with my dad and explained the four cycle end of the sport of karting to my dad and to the WK board. 
and their eyes just got as big as saucers because they knew that that was an opportunity, as you talked about with the goodies dash, where they could take this group of people, get them organized, start developing some racing series, some rules, and so on and so forth. So they went to Atlanta, and they had a meeting, and the two big players in that meeting were Dan Klutz and a gentleman from the West Coast by the name of Gil Horseman. And, and Gil was probably one of the key elements to that whole program because he was helping to fund it because he saw the opportunity to grow the sport and obviously to grow his business. So I'd say mid, mid to late 70s, that's when it all kind of began. And then came, you know, the, the competition cardings, the Sox and Sons, you know, uh, just a, a, lot of, a, a lot of names through there. But that's, that's kind of my memory of how four cycle racing kind of got its beginning in the WKA. Yeah, you, you're 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 right on it. And uh, but you know, it, back in the day, Randy, if you lived in North Carolina, and I started out racing two cycles, but when four cycles first became kind of popular, the the two cycle people kind of looked at them and snickered. You know, that was yeah. a garden digger motor. It didn't even <laughs> yeah. belong at a racetrack. Right. And right. you know, you guys that run those things, you you don't even need to be here. Well. You know, but the thing was, a lot of the track owners were smart enough to know that there was a whole group of people there that needed a place to race. And it just, I think the timing of it all was a perfect case scenario because um, in 73, okay, let's back up to 72. And I want to tell you this because I'm proud of this as much as anything. I was a charter member of WK and I've got the license, the patches, everything to prove it okay. in 72. Wow. wow. And and, you know, the thing that I got you to sign for me years ago at CarFest, it's got all those patches yeah, in it. Right. That, that's the patches, 72, 73, 74, 75, 76, 77, 78. Wow. All that whole thing. And, I was, you know, and but the thing about it was, in 72, they didn't even recognize four cycles, of course. Well, in 73, yeah. when all, you, all that you're talking about, well, Bobby Geddes, Dan Plutz, all these guys. See, we were running a circuit called the North Carolina Circuit Series. Okay. at the time and it ran at, at west lincoln at bobby's track and all well they thought hmm if we could get these guys to be part of this thing there's a whole lot of potential members and and i guess they went to your dad and everybody you just talked about and said we need these guys to come on board so you know they went to barnesville for the winter olympics in 73 which i didn't go in 73 i didn't but i went in 74 and actually i uh, won in 74 wow and uh I outrun Jerry McCart. That's who I outrun for the win that, that weekend. That's the first time I've ever been to, Bar to Barnesville to race. Now, I had been to the two-cycle race, but I didn't race there before. But, you know, that's when I met Dickie Wilson and Dick Wilson, all these guys. But that's also in 74. You just mentioned a minute ago, that's where I met Charlie Sox for the first time. Uh -huh. and, yeah. we're, and, Charlie, and Charlie and I are good friends this day. But another name you need to include in this is Robert Stanton. Because, oh, yeah, Robert you know, Stanton. Robert, oh, yeah. He, Robert played a big part in getting this ball rolling too back in the day. And he, he really don't get a lot of credit, but Robert was very instrumental at getting the four cycle game up and going back when it was, you know, first getting his feet off the ground. Right. Right. Yeah. And he's still involved in the vintage carting uh, end of it to, to this day. If I had all the money I spent with him on these vintage carts, I could go to Aruba. <laughs> this weekend. Yeah. But you got the carts though. So that's important. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he's a Robert's a great friend of mine and has been for years. And, uh, you know, he's he's done a lot for a lot of people in karting. He's a fine gentleman. 
So as, as that kind of evolved within a year or two, they're actually developed a national series in the dirt and also the gold cup, which, which horseman was involved with. And that thing kind of took off and all of a sudden they're getting four and 500 carts at a race, right? Oh, it, it, it snowballed. I mean, it was amazing how fast it took off because, you know, let's just face it. Even back then, a McCulloch engine wasn't very reliable and you could spend a lot of money, you know, keeping them going. If you ran a, a Comet or a B-bomb or whatever, those were expensive too, but you could get you a five horsepower Briggs and pretty much race the whole year and never do nothing to it. And, right. and that's what really got a lot of people, at least here in the Carolinas and Georgia, that's what got a lot of people into racing that were looking for a way to get into racing cheap. That was the, that was the perfect thing. And, 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 you know, back in the day, the winter Olympics at, at, um, at, at Barnesville and then, you know, Jack Smith come along with the Carolina Cartway and, yeah, and all yeah. these places, man, they, they would pack them in at these races. It was amazing how many people would come. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Dick Wilson in the early stages. It wasn't but a year or two. And I think Gil kind of brought Dick in and said, we need somebody that can come to these races, take control, and make sure everybody follows the structure so everybody's treated as fairly as they possibly can be. And we, and we follow the rules, and we have tech, and we have officials, and so on. So Dick played a big part in the early stages of getting that thing going. And I, I can't imagine the miles that man put on his car to go from race to race just to make sure and the hours he put in, I mean, he was a, a huge, uh, a huge ally to my dad, as far as that program went. He, he, uh, and, and not to mention he had one of the most popular tracks in the country in Barnesville. You know, my favorite, I got to tell you my favorite Dick Wilson memory. And this Please is of all time. And I, all right. I got to be good friends with Dick, but I, I mentioned winning that first ever four cycle pro race. Well, yeah. you know, after we cleared tech and everything, you know, the Ponderosa used to be right down the road oh, yeah. and that's where everybody right. had to go eat. Yeah. Dick took me out. To, he took me and my buddy that was, had rode down with me that weekend. He took us out to a steak supper at the Ponderosa. And, you know, that meant so much to me oh, yeah. for Dick Wilson, you know, to do that. I mean, I look back and, and that was a huge deal. That'd be like Bill France taking Richard Petty out, you know, after he won a Daytona 500. Mm-hmm. To me, it did. And, uh, and, that, and he was the, when you, when you, when you're at Barnesville and you become Ponderosa worthy, with Dick Wilson, you have made it, partner. Well, I, I mean, he bought my supper, you know, and, and it was it was just, I mean, it was something, listen, it happened all them years ago, and it still kind of gives me yeah. cold chills to think about it now. Those are the things we remember. And, and the other thing I think that's important that we touch on, Phil, is that all this was happening, all this was happening, and we were doing it with about 12 classes. Well, yeah, and, that, and, and listen, that's you're exactly right. We had about 12 classes, and every one of those classes would have a full fill and then some, and and uh, and you don't want to get me on that soapbox. I mean, I, I'm I'm one of these. I'm too old school. I think we're running way too many classes this day and age. So uh, that's that's kind of a whole different story. Hopefully, we can touch on maybe later in this conversation. But uh, yeah, Dick, he knew how to he knew how to run a show. He, you knew that he was the sheriff, and you better and you better abide by his rules or laws, ever what you want to put it. But you knew also that everybody's playing on a fair playing field. That he wasn't going to show you no favoritism. He wasn't going to give you no favors, but he would treat you like a if you acted like a man, he'd treat you like a man. Is it safe to say that the buck stopped with Dick? Oh yeah, I mean definitely. Yeah. I mean he yeah. was. Uh, 
He was, you know, there wasn't no grade pages in his tech manual, and he could recite you anything out of that tech book. You could ask him a rule. And he, <laughs> I know it. And he carried, listen, he carried a tech manual folded in his back pocket yep. pretty much all the time. But, but he didn't even really need it. Now, he would, I'll tell you why he carried it, because he would tell you what it was going to say, and then he'd pull it out and show it to you. Yeah. But right, uh, he, right. he, he was, and then he'd give you a TV if you won the race, too, by the way. Oh yeah, everybody got their TV down in Barnesville. You bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So such, I'm gonna, such I'm going to mention a couple drivers' names, and when I say their name, I want you to just tell me what comes to mind because they were legends back in the day. The first one is Scott Sexton. Well, you know, Scott lived up in Tennessee, and and uh, he was, gosh, he was probably in his era when he come along. You know, he's kind of tied up with George Ormby, who built a lot of engines, and and. Uh, he was, I mean, if you had a, a go-kart Hall of Fame, he would definitely go in in the first class. I mean, yeah. a dirt track over Hall of Fame because, and and I, I think I'm right on this. I may be wrong, but I think I'm right. Back when WK gave away the Simpson helmets uh, that one year, and uh, he won four of them at one race. And everybody else is thinking, well, I just would love to win one. And, you know, yeah. this joker goes out and wins four classes. And exactly. he was an amazing guy, but. He, uh, he, and, and, you know, he went on to do just as good in cars. He was that, he was that good a, a driver, but I, I'm doing a countdown of the, to the world 100 at Eldora right now on my Facebook page. Yep. And I wish you'd go back and read number 52 because it was about Scott Sexton's who it was about. And, uh, he, he really left this earth way, way, way too young from a blood disorder of all things. Oh, and, uh, but, but he, he was a, he was a one heck of a driver. That's for sure. Yeah. He was unstoppable. Nobody got into dirt late models. There were just nobody could touch him. I think what was that? It was a little track up in Tennessee, wasn't it? That wasn't it near a go kart track, and people would go to the go kart track and stand on the corner and watch him race in the stock car at the same time. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Gosh, the name of the track slipped my mind, yeah. but yeah, you're exactly right. It's the go kart track and the car tracks at the same place. I, I remember somebody telling me that years ago. They'd stand on the trailer, and while they were watching the go kart race, they'd turn around, and there's Scott Sexton out there winning the feature in the late model race. Yep. Yeah. You're so right. The, the other name is Steve Lofton. Well, you know, Steve was kind of the North Carolina version of of Scott. He, uh, you could put Steve on pretty much any car, but he had, you know, he had a lot of connections with competition car and Dan plus you mentioned Dan and uh you know Steve he was he was an amazing driver in his era I mean just the same thing he the championships that he won and and you know this there's, there's some people just anything they do it just seems to work and he was one of those guys that that he could win on about whatever he said on he could win on right yeah that's what I remember he would just he was like Scott he just every national he'd win two or three classes he was just unbeatable yeah. it was rare that he wouldn't sit on the pole and just, you know, they'd smell his fumes the whole race. He was that good. One And one cool thing about Steve, I'm on Facebook with him. He's still involved in the vintage karting to this day. Yeah, I saw that name the other day at one of the vintage races. I think he runs that Maxis series maybe. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, I remember he, him back he, in the day, good. man. He was, he was rock solid. So I want you to talk a little bit about lost speedways because that's going to be a segue for us into our little version of that, which is lost cart tracks. But let's talk about your involvement with lost speedways, who's behind it all and what they're doing and where they can watch it. 
Well, it's Lost Speedways was two people that came up with the same idea that were friends that didn't really know the other one was thinking about doing it. And one of them is Dale Jr., Dale Earnhardt Jr., and the other one is Matthew Dillner. Well, both these guys have a fond, uh, you know, a fond sense of love for the old tracks and the old right. drivers and the old this and that. You know, Dale Jr.'s got a graveyard at his house for old race cars. Yeah, now, how many exactly. people got something like that? But, right, right. So these guys got together and put their heads and their brains together and come up with this idea and took it to uh, the, the TV network and sold them on the idea. And they came up with a list of tracks. And so I was just very fortunate that I, you know, when they contacted me, about it they said well said we've talked to a lot of different people that said we're going to do one of the stories on Asheville speedway and said that, that everyone's telling us you got a big collection of memorabilia and and history on the track and you you know your dad was a chief steward there and uh your mom worked there and 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 i said that was i went to work there when i was seven years old selling racing papers selling southern motorsports journal so <laughs> right. that, that was that was my first job I, I worked there on friday nights my dad actually put me in business for myself at seven years old i had my own company and i sold papers at Asheville on friday and hickory on saturday so dale jr and 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 matt dillner kind of just tied all this in together and let me be part of it and uh it was just amazing, you know, to get to be part of this thing. And, oh, and it's, it's been, I've been trying to keep up with it as much as I can. And I actually, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to Cherokee Speedway and sat with Matt. And we, we got to talk more that night than we usually get to talk because usually his phone's ringing or mine is. So, yeah. but we spent the whole night at Cherokee Speedway. And he's telling me about, you know, that the reviews on the show had been uh, just unbelievable, that everybody's, you know, pumped up about Hopefully they're going to get to do a second season of it, and and uh, everything's just amazing. But you know, when they first contacted me and they and they was telling me what they was going to do, they said Phil, it's going to be a mixture of the History Channel and American Pickers. And if you think about it, they don't never tell anybody this, but I mean they told me this. But if you watch the show, it's kind of a different. I mean, it's kind of like they said, it's a History Channel and American Pickers wrapped up into one. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched the episode you were in, Phil, for the Asheville Speedway, which I. I I hate to say I didn't even know existed, uh, but the, the and it's and it actually it's still there now, but it's they turned it into a bicycle velodrome, right? Yeah, it's a it's it's still there, but it's uh, you know so, the the racetrack itself is just like it used to be, except it's concrete now. They concreted over the asphalt, but uh, the track itself is still there. And it, and you know when they did the show, they they even found a few of the old cars sitting down in the river. And uh, but I'm gonna tell you, man, that and I said it in that show. I've been on a lot of racetracks in my life, but there's nothing like that racing was at Asheville. And if you yeah. ask any people that went there, they'll tell you the same thing. I mean, yeah. that place had, I mean, it's in, it's basically kind of like in town and kind of like say Bowman Gray stadium is in Winston-Salem. And it's just, it had a feel that everybody couldn't wait to get the racetrack on Friday night. And that place was, uh, you could just feel the excitement in the air. Once you pulled in the gate, you well, really could. And back in the day, NASCAR, that was that was part of their regular schedule. There was races at Asheville. That was part of the NASCAR Cup Series or whatever it was called back then, Grand National, I guess. But that was part of the series. Yeah, Grand National. And, and you know, I'm, I'm so proud of this fact. My dad flagged every one of those Grand National races that was ever no on there. And, wow. Uh, yeah, he did. And, and if wow. you look at the video, that's my dad with Junior Johnson in yeah. the picture about you know, in the show. And then that's my dad uh, also giving Ned Jarrett the checkered flag and 63 right. when he won up there but yeah so but it's uh, I, I it's on peacock tv which is a spinoff i think of nbc but i actually 
found it on uh, on my laptop, and it, I think it's free, I believe. But if you just create it an is account, free. yeah, it's you, free. You create yeah. an account on Peacock TV. You can actually watch it from your computer, and you sure awesome. can. If you like racing history, you will be glued to this. And you're right. If you watch the Dale Jr. download, he's all about the history. Everybody he gets on there, he wants to tell stories. And, and it's, you know, that's another one. You just can't stop watching it. So this is going to no, be our, this is going to be our version, Phil, of Lost Speedways. And we're going to call it Lost Cart Tracks. And I'm going to name you some right. cart tracks that aren't around anymore. And I want you to just okay. tell me some memories about those tracks. And the first one, and when I think of this track, I think of the famous Ben Porter bologna sandwich, but Palmetto. Oh, the great races, the gold cups that were ran at Palmetto. Yeah, I was very fortunate to get to race down there, and I drove for John Nance. I know you probably remember John Nance. Yeah. But uh, I met I met John back in probably 74 and got to race for him at Palmetto. But, you know, that was a harp. I, I, I will be honest with you and tell you, I never won at Palmetto. I come close to winning, but I never won a race there, unfortunately. But I'm going to tell you, the competition there was unbelievable. Yeah. The people I was having to race against – is the reason I didn't win a race. You know, I had yeah. the best. Oh, exactly. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was, you know, there's a perfect, to me it was kind of one of the perfect road courses. It really was because it, it, it showed not only who the best, had the best cart and the fastest engine, but you had to drive every inch of that track as yeah. hard as you could if you right. were win. But it, it was a great facility. It was. If I remember right, there were some tight corners. And if you missed one of them when you were chasing somebody, it's going to take you the rest of the race to catch back up to him. You couldn't make any mistakes. Yeah, you might catch up, but chances are he'd be gone and you wouldn't, you know, you'd, you right. wouldn't catch up. But yeah, exactly. I'll tell you one of the best there. To me, one of the best there is Charlie Sox, bar none. Charlie yeah. Sox get around that place uh, as good as anybody and better than 99% of the people. Well, and, and it was located, I think, in Elgin, South Carolina, which was just outside of Columbia. So that was a real – that was like Charlie's home track. So him and Dan put a lot of miles on that place. Well, me and you were sitting at home. He was probably there practicing two or three days a week. <laughs> That's we right. Know about. That's right. So the next one is Darlington. And, and I, I remember Jack Smith running that place. I went down there and announced a couple times. It was right down the road well, from the, the Darlington Raceway. Yeah, and I think about that place – more than you would imagine because the first year that it it opened up for business, I guess it would have been 74 probably uh, when it fir very first opened and you ran in the wrong direction is what I call it. You ran clockwise yeah. rather than right. counterclockwise. Right. And right. it was shaped like Pocono. It was, it was shaped like Pocono. So uh, we went down for a big race. It done got snowed out one time and went back for the makeup race. And they had a huge crowd of people showed up for this thing. I, I can't remember what the name of the race was, but anyhow, uh, the race ran on up into Sunday night. You know, back then we raced on Sundays a lot. And and so the race started and it was dark and cold. And uh, I was I was running like fourth in the big race, in the, in the big race of the day. And we came around on what would have been the last turn before he came down the front straightaway. And, and somebody had ran through some water at the, at the, in that corner and threw some water out on the track. Well, the leader, second, third, me running fourth, and the guy behind me in fifth all hit this water. And it was almost like we hit black ice on the interstate. And we all piled into the fence. And I was upside <laughs> down, and I was laying on another cart, and then the other cart was laying on top of me. But guess what was right on the other side of the fence? The ambulance. So the ambulance <laughs> driver, he's about freaked out. He's, him and his buddy's about freaked out. 
and he jumps over the fence and I'm the first one he went to because I was covered up in go-karts. He says, are you all right? Are you all right? And I said, no, I think I have broke both of my arms. And sure enough, I had broke my right arm oh, and uh, they wanted to, yeah, they wanted to take me to the hospital somewhere down around Darlings. And I said, heck no, you're, I said, I'm going to Shelby. I said, they can fix my arm when I get back home. Tonight. <laughs> and so, um, so my, the, the people that I raced for, loaded up the go-kart what was left of it, it tore it all to pieces and uh we, we they brought me home so when i got home my mom actually took me to the to the hospital that night when my arm had swollen up so big they couldn't even set it i had to go back the next day and get my wow. arm set but uh but you know i won i won quite a bit of races there through the years uh when they paved it and yeah. uh, and but jack he you know he was very he was a very smart guy he was and, and oh, yeah. that place was you know, they talk about if you build a steakhouse or convenience store, location, 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 yep. that place had the best location to me, you know, right up the street from the Darlington Raceway and the, yep. and the dragway had just been built, you know, yep. and, and man, that was, that was a great place to go race. I love that place. Yeah, a lot of exposure, uh, a lot of people driving by there and see it, and, and he always got good turnouts. I, I, I want you to rewind that story just a little bit. How did the water get on the track again? All right, there was a guy that must have been running dead. I'm going to pardon my French. He must have been running dead ass last, okay. ran off the track and threw, and threw this water up on the track. And we come through there and none, oh. we didn't have no idea that we were on the track. And, and, so and I'm serious, it's almost like we had ice. And, where, and the next thing, the every one of the leaders wrecked. Where was the water coming you, from? Was it like a, a barrel with water in it or well, something? No, you know, they watered the track before the big race. Oh, because, remember? Okay. I got you. Remember? Remember, it was a dirt track then. Yeah, in the beginning, and, uh, it was a dirt track. That's right. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, it was a okay. dirt track. So, <laughs> wow. But but they had banked, they had banked that corner so you could run through there flat out. Well, yeah. the guy ran down. The water was standing on the end, very inside of the track. You know, kind of where it ran into like a little place, a little pool there. And it's just it was just enough to screw us up. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was it's, it was an amazing place. I love wow. it. Oh yeah, it was. I. I, w I always enjoyed going down there. That was, a, it was good racing. Again, it was a tight little track, just like uh, uh, Palmetto was and just some really good racing. You had to have it together if you were going to win down there. Uh, so the, I got to tell you this, I, Randy, I got to tell you this. I go down to paradise and announce for uh, Henry Marie. Uh, I, I used to go quite a bit. I don't go too much here lately, but uh -huh. one day I was running, I was running early and I just pulled in there and, and turned my truck off and got out and walked out, and the old tower is still there. And wow. I made some pictures of it. Wow. And uh, the t and I mean, and I looked up at that thing, and I thought, man, this is so cool. And and the old the barn where they used to tear your motors down is still there. Yeah. And uh, and 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 just the, I just walked around reminisce for about thirty minutes. I really that's did. That's awesome. Melrose Raceway, and that's that was run uh, by the C family. Tell me about that. Yep. Yeah, that was another one of my favorite places to go. They raced on Sunday afternoons, and it was in Saluda, North Carolina, up in the mountains. And the track, part of the pits was you, you actually could pit in the, under the shade trees, and it was a, a oval track, and uh, it was a fast racetrack. It really was. And uh, the, my, my greatest memory of racing at Saluda, I had raced at Bobby Geddes's on a Saturday night and won. And this is kind of, this is about 1981. Well, the people that I was driving for was a family called the Quinn family. 
And uh, but I drove for the dad and the two brothers. They also had their cars that they that one of the brothers raced it and the other brother kind of financed it. So anyhow, we won at Bobby's. We loaded up and left Bobby's and went to a, a dirt track with the same go kart that I usually raced at a lot too. It was here in Shelby and fell in the rear and won there on after we left Bobby's. So wow. they said, well, let's go to Salute. They said, let's go to Salute and race tomorrow. And I said, well, heck yeah, let's go. Yeah. So we went to Saluda and, and raced up there on Sunday afternoon. I won three races in less than 24 hours, two of them on asphalt and one of them on dirt. That's impressive. Yeah. Well, that was cool. my favorite memory. Of, that was my favorite memory of Saluda. Yeah. But, you know, J- Junior Neal, he raced up there a lot, and he was tough yeah. to beat. So oh, yeah. if you went up there, if you outrun Junior Neal, you'd done your day's work. If you outrun Junior anyway, you'd done your day's work because he was tough to beat. He was He was pretty – Pretty, pretty hard to hard to get around for sure. Junior, another legendary driver. Uh, we'll, He's we'll the world's oldest, world's oldest teenager. Oh yeah, exactly. He'd he'd hop on a 250cc supercar right now if you'd let him. He I would. He's, He's 80 something years old. Yeah, right. Well, you mentioned the Gettys Car Track, and let's finish up with that one. Tell us about the uh, the Gettys Car Track that Bobby and Carol ran back in the day. Well, when I very first started racing in 71, um, I raced at, at, at West Lincoln on Friday nights, and I raced at Bobby Geddes' on Saturday nights. And, you know, Bobby and Carol and Sonny, I always call him Sonny. He's really Bobby Jr., but we called him Sonny back then. Sonny and I are the same age, including John Clutch. We're the same age, Bill Meacham. There's so many guys that I race with I'm still friends with this day. But, you know, I love to go to Bobby's because – you know, Carol, his wife, fixed the greatest hot dogs back in the day, and <laughs> yeah. and she was kind of like, a, she was kind of like a second mother to me. Uh, yeah. Carol was, and and you know, I'm so proud they got put in the Hall of Fame here recently. I know you was part of that deal at Charlotte. Oh but, yeah, yeah. You know, but but Bobby, he was, you know, Bobby was, he was uh, another person, kind of like Dick Wilson. He ran, he ran a, a tight ship, and you played by Bobby's rules, and yeah, and uh, he didn't put up with much crap up there. He probably put that. up more crap for me than he would like to, but but he, uh, <laughs> but, he but but I, I got to tell this Bobby Geddes story. Oh please! If do. it was not for Bobby, if it wasn't for Bobby Geddes, um, I never would have announced one go kart race because yeah. I went to Riverside Cartway back in 1999 when it first opened, and a buddy of mine was the announcer. Well, I, he, you know, I was going to the, this first time I'd even been over there, so that night he didn't show up. So long story short, Bobby talked me into announcing the race that night, and I didn't want to do it. I did not want to do it. But, you know, me having the respect I had for Bobby Geddes at the time, and I've always had, I said, yeah, I said, since you asked me to do it, I'll do it. And I did. And as I look back at my life, that one night and that one man, Bobby Geddes, changed my entire life forever. I mean, from that night on, if it wasn't for him, I never would have announced a race to begin with. And uh and if it wasn't for Bobby having, you know, like I said, I got more respect for him than, than most people in this whole world. Yeah. And if it wasn't for him, I would, I never would have let somebody else talk me into it. Yeah. Uh, they're they're a, they're but, a special but, couple but, for sure. But let me mention Bobby's track. You know, we had the North Carolina State Championship races there for many, many times during those years. We had the North Carolina Circuit races there. Bobby had his own Geddes Cart Club, and that was started in 72 where they raised money. You bought a membership to the club, and if somebody got hurt racing or whatever, 
they would give that money to that driver. If wow. you just say, for instance, I saw that I broke my arm, and Bobby and Carol came up with this idea, you know, and they wow. would give the money to the driver or the family to try to help them through the, the tough times. But yeah. Bobby and Carol are great people. You know, they've done oh, yeah. so much with the, the, the ministry and, you know, yeah. going to Africa and different things that they do. But, uh, you know, the the world would be a lot better place if there's more Bobby Geddes around, I'll tell you. Yeah, I, I, yeah Bob, Bobby and Carol have been so involved with the WK for so many years and, and uh, still are to this day. Uh, I, I tell people, the two of them and Marie are the, really the face of WK right now. And not, no disrespect to anybody else. I mean, Kevin and Mike and everybody, they're really working hard. But those guys, those three have been involved with that organization for so long. And, and they just live and breathe WK. And uh, it's, you know, just people relate to them. It's, they're, just, they're just awesome. Well, you yeah. know, they, they were the ones that, were, you know, that really get the, got the ministry part going in WK, if you think about it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, about years ago, mm, oh, yeah, I really did. So we're kind of winding down here, but I want to ask you this question. Let's just All say right, that we, you and I, got a hot tub time machine, and we can get in that baby, and we can go back in time to karting, and we can fix something. But you can only fix one thing, Phil. What would it? What would it be? Oh man. Uh, well, I think I'm going to put it to you like this. I go to a lot of different races, a lot of different forms of races that I see a lot of people that I've known that I've watched these kids grow up from the time they ran purple plate, even back before purple plate in the, the kids class. And, and, uh, and I hear people talk about why they left karting. And the, the one thing that, that probably 90% of those people tell me is the same thing. And, and I'm not bashing nobody. So don't take this the wrong way, but the the tire situation as a whole has run more people off than any other one yeah. single thing. Yeah. And, and I look back to Listen, let me tell you something. I was there the night at, at, at Jack Smith's place at, at Carolina Cartway when I seen the first four, well, actually the first eight Bridgestone tires I'd ever seen in my life. And Gil <laughs> yeah. Horseman come in, he gave four, he gave four to Charlie Sox and he gave four to Phil Elvis. Yeah, we'd never seen a Bridgestone tire. Yeah, well, that yeah. changed the face of go kart racing at that yeah. time. Well, now what's now what's changed the face of it is the chemicals. Yeah, and you know I know and listen I know I got a lot of my buddies that's going to step on their toes. <laughs> well, don't but, throw yourself but, under but, the bus, Phil. <laughs> no, I'm not. But I'm just saying, you know, you, you we got to figure out a way to yeah. decrease and not increase the cost of the tires. If yeah. we're going to keep go-karting alive, because there's so many people that I've talked to that say, you know, I, I bought this race car and now my tire bill is about a fourth of what it was when I race go-karts. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and you think, you know, how could that possibly be? But we, you know, that's the one thing that I think that, that we really need to figure out yeah. how we can fix it and what needs to be fixed and get everybody on the same page to do it. And, and I think carding would, you know, we we just we've lost so many people over the last ten years. That's that's all fought that same battle. And let's just face it, you got to be a smart man to be a tire man. And yeah. there's a lot of folks that might be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, but he can't figure out what four tires to put on his son's <laughs> go kart. Yeah, and, and you got to hire somebody, you know you got to yeah. hire somebody that knows that. And there's and there's so many people that says, well, I'd rather just go somewhere that I can buy me four tires that I can't mess with. 
Yeah. And and that way I don't have to miss I don't have to worry about that. And yeah. and that's one of the reasons that a lot of folks have chosen another form of racing other than cart racing. And uh, I just wish we could get back to the same way it was when we didn't have those problems. I think you're spot on, Phil. And it is a, it, it's, you know, it's the competitive spirit that if one guy's doing it, everybody has to do it to stay competitive. I don't know how you control it. I mean, when I was involved with WK, that was a struggle that I had that I really, we, we really set out to try to control it and, and, and we failed. I mean, it's, it's still there and, and I don't have the answer. I wish I did, but there, it would it would be good if that became a level playing field and and there was other things that people could do and excel in to win a race besides uh, the tires being so important. But it's unfortunately just how it is. But certainly, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. That's a that's a tough deal. Well, before we well, wrap it up, I think. Go ahead. I think that the World Outlaws and the Lucas Oil Series and and if you look at these dirt series. Yeah, sure. You got guys that's gonna that's gonna try every once in a while, but even the the big names that's tried it and got caught have learned their lesson that you know they're gonna check us if we win. They're gonna check us, and and it can right. be policed. It's gonna take some extra work, but it can be policed and it can be fixed. But it's just gonna take a group, you know. And that's what right. and that's what I miss so much about WK. We don't have that group like we once had when you was the, the head, yeah. the captain of the ship, to <laughs> to call the shot. Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's it's tough because you're right. There's a way to do it. It's costly. It, it takes manpower and it's hard for that to channel down to the local Saturday night tracks. If somebody has a big money race. They're still prepping tires. But the bigger events, yeah, you could probably do it. And that's about the only way, I guess, it, that it would somehow gain control. But it's a it's a tough one for sure. Well, listen, before we wind this up, I want you to talk about the museum and where people can view the video and how people can come see it. Well, there is a, a about a two-minute video on YouTube. Just put in Combs Family Museum, and uh, it's my dad, Ned Jarrett, and Bob Ladford doing the talking. And, and uh, actually, Ned Jarrett used to own a record company at one time. A lot of people don't even realize that. And when he did, he, he put this record out called Gentlemen Start Your Engines. And on that record, he had, I think, 27 different racing people like Richard Petty and Bobby Allison. And, and uh, he had my dad, who was – my dad was doing a lot of the flagging at that era. And he had my dad explain the flags, which that's what you'll hear on the video. But, you know, I've had probably in my lifetime 100 people ask me, or probably more than that, if I ever thought my dad would get in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And I tell every one of them the same thing, absolutely, positively no, because – you got people like Banjo Matthews and a lot of people that raced and built cars, Tiger Tom Pistone, yeah. that, you know, it's questionable if these guys are ever going to get in. Right. They'll never get down the officials, I don't think. But there's, I just wanted so to do many. something. Like, yeah, my mom and dad, my mom had saved so much stuff uh, during her and my dad's days of, of working in NASCAR. Uh, my mom, I'm not going to say she was a pack rack pack rat or a hoarder, but she saved more stuff than you can imagine. And I thought it was a, I just thought it was a shame for folks not to get to see it. So awesome. I came up with this idea about 10 years ago. So when I retired from FedEx uh, two and a half years ago, I built this museum at my house. And, uh, you know, when I built this thing, I thought, Lord, I'll never get it full. And so, and now it's so full, I can't hardly find room to put up an eight by 10 picture. But uh, if, if it's, it's, it's free to get in, you know, I didn't build it to, to make a profit. I built it for fun. And, uh, 
but it's not just about NASCAR. It's got go-kart racing stuff. And I'm going to tell you this. You'll, you'll appreciate this. I think I have the biggest collection of go-kart magazines of anybody that I know of in the country. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not talking about every different kind of go-kart magazine. Yeah. I've had yeah. so many people that gave me different. Uh, I didn't even know there's so many go-kart magazines out there until uh, I started doing this. But I, I really pride myself on having that uh, a, a good go-kart collection uh yeah, i got a, a big dirt track late mall asphalt nascar wow. i'm a i'm a big, if you met me on the street and didn't know me and you met me at walmart or whatever you said hey sir said what's your favorite kind of racing i'd probably tell you drag racing if you want to know the truth oh really because i used to yeah i used to when i was 16 years old i had a 67 camaro and uh, i drag raced a lot and and and, and as i look back at my life and what uh, different stuff that i've done i really wish that i had a tried to, to get into drag racing because yeah. I love drag racing. I'm telling you, but uh, I've got a drag racing section in it. Uh, that's kind of dedicated more to the North Carolina end of it. It's got, I've got all the stuff about the, the all the way back to the very first induction of the North Carolina drag racing museum hall of fame. But, uh, it's just got a lot of the cool stuff in it and, uh, enduro stuff, sprint stuff, dirt, yeah. asphalt. I got a little bit of all of it, but, and like I say, uh, if anybody wants to ever come, I, I, I've had people, you know, from all over the United States racing people just through Facebook. You know, uh, yeah. it's really it's, it's really amazed me in two and a half years how many people have been to see it. That's awesome. So it's the Combs Family Museum on YouTube? Yep. Mm-hmm. Sure right. And then uh, Phil Combs, if you want to friend him on Facebook, you can you can get the details if you want to head down there. It's in Shelby, North Carolina, Phil. Yep, and I've got a Facebook uh, page for the museum also. Oh, okay, all right. Sounds good. Yeah, another easy way, if they just want to go on the Facebook page for the museum, the video is actually on there. If they don't want to go on YouTube, they can just go on Facebook okay. and look at it. All right, um, all right. Yeah. Listen, uh, that, uh, that's about all for one podcast, Phil, but I'll tell you, we could talk forever. we got to do this again. I really enjoyed it. I, I knew there'd be some great stories, and there was. I just, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on here. This is this is my first crack at an interview, Phil. So you're my guinea pig, and, and I don't know how good a job I did, but you did a great job. Hopefully, we'll we'll listen to it later, and it'll sound like it's supposed to sound. But you did an awesome job. I really appreciate it. Well, I got to tell you this before we, hang, before we hang up. I I had the utmost respect for your dad long before you came along, and uh, and and to see you take over, you know, and run and run the deal, you know. Uh, I know your dad had to be mighty proud of you, and uh, I just appreciate the friendship that me and you's had for, for the years that we've had it. And uh, you know, I was mentioning getting you to sign that thing that I've got all those licenses in. Uh, yeah. That was an honor the day that I got you to sign that. That's when you was the president of WKA. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, that was a while uh, back. I remember that. And, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I appreciate all you've done for carding. You know, we kind of have. Uh, through the announcing thing and all, I've done a lot of the same stuff. And, uh, but you know, again, I appreciate you having me on this more than you, you could ever know, Randy. I really yeah. do. Well, we're going to do it again, Phil. It, it's been a lot of fun and uh, I know we're going to cross paths and I look forward to it when we do. Well, I want you to visit the museum too. I really do. I want you I, I, I'd like to, to check get down it out. All right. Well, listen, that's, well, uh, that's a wrap up on our podcast with Phil Combs. Phil, I, I appreciate you being on, uh, until the next time, everybody, race safe, race fast, and remember, uh, racers don't last forever, but racing memories do. It's Phil Combs and Randy Kugler, episode number five, A Racing with RK.